0: Praise the Lord and welcome to our weekly 30-minute podcast, The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Our podcast will cover various topics that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or even controversial from a biblical perspective. We're blessed to have a team of wonderful producers who want to make each episode something that will be enjoyable and informative. During the month of April, our producers have put together great episodes that will cover a wide range of topics on mental health awareness. Today's podcast was produced by Associate Pastor Corey Bellamy. Our editors are Sister Satoya Clanton and Sister Tainika Harris Coronado. I'll be back with today's episode. Welcome back to the elephant in the room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Over the past four weeks, we've been discussing the topic, protecting your mental health. First, we talked about the definition of mental health. Secondly, Sister Jalen Bowie was transparent with us about her personal challenges and the tools she uses to live victoriously. Thirdly, Dr. Teresa Woods talked about mental health in the church. Suicide warning signs and suicide prevention. Dr. Woods is the author of No More Silence, There Is Safety. Last week we spoke with Evangelist Stacy McDonald, author of The Gospel of Mental Health. Evangelist McDonnell shared personal narratives of her biological father's battle with schizophrenia and her own struggle with depression. This weekend, we will have a conversation about our most precious resources, our children. April is Child Abuse and Neglect Awareness Prevention Month. The elephant in the room is one in seven children have their innocence shattered by abuse and neglect. When we educate ourselves, address the problems... Then we can protect our children from child abuse and neglect. We will also turn the tide on many of the mental health issues with which our society is plagued. Information for today's podcast is provided by the publication for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Fast Facts, Preventing Child Abuse and Neglect. Our guest is Sister Nastasia Powers. Nastasha is a pew baby. She has deep church roots. Nastasha will be graduating with her master's degree next Saturday from Illinois State University. She is a legal advocate. Nastasha began her studies in criminal justice in 2018. She knew from her first class that she would be working with survivors throughout her career. She's had the opportunity to study victimology in London and France, under Dr. Shelley Clevinger. She will soon be traveling to Croatia for additional victim studies at the University Center of Dubrovnik under Dr. Don Beechner. She's had the drive to give voices back to survivors of violent crimes. Nashasha started her career as an intern at YWCA, Stepping Stones Sexual Assault Resource Center and works closely with victims of domestic violence and child abuse. After her 2019 graduation, she began working as a full-time legal and medical advocate. She continuously seeks opportunities to support and advocate for those in need. Nastasia is finishing up her master's degree in criminal justice, specializing in women and gender studies. She is currently researching how to advocate for those not comfortable with reporting and how communities can better serve survivors so they will not have to think twice before disclosing abuse. Nastasha, welcome to the elephant in the room.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, you have a lot going on here. Um Appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to um, give us some insight as to what's going on um, in our world, especially with our children. Nastasha, what was it that inspired you to become an advocate and a voice for victims of abuse? So it was...
1: Honestly, it was my personal testimony. I'm a survivor of um, sexual assault and I started to go down that road of figuring out how to first amplify my voice. And in the midst of that, um, I realized that there were opportunities for me to help survivors of all forms of abuse. And so I just kept going.
0: Tell me about your your journey um, has it other than being uh, traumatic how have you been able to survive this journey
1: it's god <laughs> it is it is like all the way god um, but it's also making sure that you have a strong support system and so i'm grateful for having a support system but not just a spiritual support system I'm grateful for the support system that I had, um, encouraging me to go to counseling. And so it was, um, a balance between spiritual support and mental support, um, every step of the way. And that's what pushes me like even on the darkest days when I'm dealing with work and it's something that can cause vicarious trauma, I'm reaching out to my counselor and we're having a session or I'm reaching out to my spiritual leaders and we're talking it through. So it's a balance of support.
0: Is that, is that what we would call holistic support?
1: It definitely is. And it is needed. And I recommend it to all.
0: I know you say that you, you, you're getting support from professionals uh, as well as spiritual support for believers who are hesitant to get professional support, talking to a counselor or a therapist, what would you say to them about the importance of going beyond spiritual care, spiritual support, to encourage them to get that counseling or to see a therapist in order to have that holistic care?
1: So... What I would recommend is as much as possible, um, making sure that you, of course, pray about it. But sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason why I say that is because a lot of times, especially as few babies, when I was younger, um, we didn't hear a lot about mental health, you know, um, and it was just pray about it. Mm Um, but at the same time, when you learn the way the brain works, you understand that praying is significant, but you also want to make sure that you are reteaching your brain how to process things. Because when you go through different traumatic situations, especially, you know, with my experience, I'm, I, a lot of times are in, I'm in fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. And so I have to go through counseling to reteach my brain how to not be in hyper-vigilant mode and how to allow myself to think things through and not feel like I'm always in danger. And not every spiritual leader is equipped to do that. And so sometimes you do have to step out of your comfort zone, you have to do it scared, but trust God that he is gonna equip you and lead you to a counselor that will help you to get those tools to become well.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that fear because I think that's what paralyzes a lot of people and -hmm. makes them have second and third thoughts about getting help from a counselor or a therapist. There's a book out called Facing Your Fears. Mm -hmm. How afraid were you to reach outside for help?
1: Very, I was very afraid. It happened in 2017 and I don't think that I sought counseling until 2019 and it was my primary care provider that reached out to me and um, we were about to go through an exam and I got on the table and I had a full panic attack on the table. Wow! And when that happened, she finished the exam and she told me my, my doctor, my regular doctor, she told me, stop trying to cover your pain up with a Band-Aid and get the healing that you need. And I, you know, I tried to go through it um, with other people. And I talked to, like I said, I was reaching out to my spiritual counselors, but it wasn't until somebody that wasn't spiritual, you know, came up to me and they told me, you know, you you need to stop playing with this and you need to go get help. And that was when I reconnected with my spiritual leaders as well as my physician and I sought counseling, but I did it scared. I did it scared for about two years. Wow. And then when I connected, that was when things started to fall in place.
0: Is this going to be a, a lifetime journey, uh, or is this something that eventually victims are able to, to conquer, to overcome, to, to live beyond. So
1: honestly, in the field that I'm in, um, I work with kids as young as, you know, three, four years old, and I work with people in their sixties year, sixties and up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it depends on how soon you tackle those anxieties, how soon you tackle Um, the different fears and the different doubts and the different trauma that you've dealt with. The sooner that you're able to tackle that and you deal with it in a healthy manner, the sooner you're able to be able to detect, but you don't think things through.
0: So is this a part of self-awareness, becoming aware of yourself, how you respond to triggers um, when you have been traumatized and then having the, the ability to use those tools in order to be able to survive that particular episode.
1: Exactly. And your surroundings too, understanding that your surroundings are not always unsafe. When you're in that hypervigilant mode, sometimes you always um, screen your surroundings and you feel that it's unsafe. But then if you allow that thought process to actually flow through, if you start to, you know, do the different exercises that you should do to help you become mentally aware and uh, assess the situation in a healthy manner, then you'll realize that things are not as dangerous as they would seem. Kind of like the mirror, your rear view mirror. Yeah, yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about the um, the four types of abuse or neglect, the physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and then, of course, neglect. All of these are affecting uh, parents, children, caregivers, et cetera. You're dealing specifically with children. Nastasha, how bad is sexual abuse among our children?
1: It's bad. It, it is, it. I want, I want to say that when it comes down to it, being honest, especially because what we do in my field, we do prevention education. So we're out in the schools, we're talking to um, children to prevent sexual abuse. We're teaching them, you know, um, that this is not okay. And sometimes we'll have disclosures but we have to determine on whether we can act on that disclosure or not. Sometimes those disclosures will not be acted upon. But in the back of our minds we're always saying did we do the right thing? Because later we'll have a situation where in my what I do, I go to the hospital. So if we get a sexual assault case at a hospital, they're contacting us and I'm in the hospital and I've been in the hospital with kids as young as two, three years old oh that can't God. even do a, a real forensic exam because their bodies have not developed to mm-hmm. be able to undergo that exam. Yeah, And so, and not only that, they can't necessarily report it to the police department because we don't want to traumatize them on top of what they've already dealt with. So we have these very severe cases when it comes down to children and sexual abuse and even child abuse, right? But it's determined on whether that case is gonna go forward or not, if the child is ready to disclose or if the child is capable of actually saying what happened to them. But to a certain extent, if that child is not comfortable, if that child has been taught not to talk to anybody about what has happened to them, then the investigation can't go any further.
0: Does a parent or guardian have to be in the room uh, when a child is being examined by the doctor and if an advocate is present?
1: So the advocate is in the room based off of the child's permission or the parent's permission the entire time. There is a time where we have um, nurse forensic examiners who are nurses and they will have the parent leave out of the room just for a second um, to ensure that the child is safe and comfortable with talking with the parent in the room. That's one of the exercises that the nurses in this county does. And I really appreciate that. Um, But there are other times that even when the parent leaves the room, that child has been trained to say, I want my mom, I want my dad, or I want my guardian in the room. And there's a possibility. I'm not saying this is always the case, but there is a possibility where that parent may be, you know, the offender or know what's going on, but that child is taught not to disclose.
0: According to uh, the CDC, uh, a report from 2020, one in seven children have experienced child abuse or neglect. That is a serious problem. How, how well is the education that you and others are doing helping to prevent this type of thing from recurring?
1: I think that is very effective, and the reason why I say that is because I think about the conversations that I have with those that are around the same age as me. And these um, education or these opportunities were not given to us as children, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so we weren't aware of it. And so the peers that I've been around or the conversations that I've had with those of the same age range as me, a lot of conversations are had about how they wish they would have known because that would have stopped them from being victimized, whether it was their teenage years or their college years. And so more children, more teenagers, more college students are coming and reporting their offenses because they've been taught in school that this is not okay. This behavior is not normal. And so I think that the sooner that we tackle um, educating children and educating elementary kids and teaching them their age appropriate education for prevention awareness, the more we will have people more comfortable or children more comfortable with talking as well as having adults more comfortable with believing them, hearing them, supporting them through the process.
0: Is it ever too late for a teenager, young adult or adult To get help after having been traumatized as a child is there a point to where the the trauma is just going to be something that they have to live with for the rest of their lives
1: i honestly don't think that it's ever too late um there was a situation where um somebody had contacted us i want to say 20 30 years after the offense and that door is open to all and we will, you know, work with you just as if that incident happened the day before. It's never too late. It may take more counseling. It may take a more in-depth therapy, but it's never too late to deal with your trauma.
0: Is trauma reversible?
1: I believe that with the proper care and the proper support, it can be reversible. But It depends on the efforts that you put into it.
0: So the individual has to do the work.
1: You do have to do the work. And sometimes it's hard. That's what I want to,
0: I want to talk about that, Nastasha. The work is hard. Are you finding people who are willing to do the work in order to, to overcome their trauma or are then, are they then then traumatized by the work?
1: It's both. I think that depending on the person, they will feel themselves healing, they will feel themselves going forward. But let's just be honest, trauma is trauma. And so it can be something that triggers them and it makes them go three, four steps backwards. And so then they have to redo that work all over again and they have to work harder. And they beat up on themselves a lot of times, and so it's just like now you have to forgive yourself on top of relearning what you've already taught yourself when you went backwards
0: how How well do people do with forgiving themselves or blaming themselves for the abuse that happened to them
1: hmm. i gotta I gotta just process that for a second
0: sure sure <laughs> sure.
1: Um, Even when you don't, in my experience, personal and practically, even when you don't want to blame yourself, blame comes up. Mm -hmm. And so it gets hard. And because that it may have been a situation that you had absolutely no control over, you still wonder how you could have prevented it.
0: As an advocate, what do you say to a person that has been abused who is blaming herself for what happened? What do you say as an advocate?
1: At the end of the day, you are not the actor of the offense. You are the victim or the survivor of the offense. And so because you are not the actor, it did not happen because of you. You didn't create the victimization. You didn't create the viola- the way that you were violated. And so you have to remember that the only thing that you can do is take that control back and choose to go forward and not allow it to become you, but just know that it happened to you and you can move forward.
0: May I ask you, in your, in your case, have you been able to take control back take back control of your life as you're moving forward?
1: It's an everyday decision, and every day I decide to move forward. Even on the darkest days, I decide to move forward, and when I feel like I can't move forward, what I do is I reach out to that support system, and they encourage me, and they support me, and we move forward together.
0: So there are there are days when you when you wake up or there are days when you're challenged and you may say to yourself, I really don't feel like I'm in control. Exactly. And you reach out for help. I do. Good. What are the what are the uh, demograph demographics for those who are experience sexual abuse or. Is this something that is primarily among African-Americans, whites, uh, the Latino community? Is there a predominant nationality where this is happening?
1: So let me say this based off of my experience. When it comes down to the demographics, what may be on paper is different than what's actually seen. Hmm. On paper, we see that minorities are definitely the higher ratios for abuse. But when it comes down to reporting in a facility or the police department or going to the hospital, it is not minorities that are represented. And it could be because of that, that mentality of I don't go outside of my regular group of people for help. Or this situation may not be a situation that I discuss outside of my private party. Does that make sense?
0: It makes a lot of sense. And that's frightening because Mm -hmm. if if it's happening and it is on paper that there is uh, an uptick in sexual abuse, neglect in the African-American community, it's very concerning if they know that and it's not being reported. If it's not being reported, then they're probably not getting help
1: exactly and that's the scary part
0: according to um cdc neglect and abuse can happen in any household however children who live in poverty are five times more likely at risk for abuse and neglect that's on paper is that what you're seeing in the field
1: in the field if I am to see a person of color, let's say in the hospital, most of the time they will not follow up with us for additional services. Wow. So they're in the hospital because it was significant harm that was done. But when it comes down to that follow up care and getting those follow up resources, it may not be as easily obtained or they may not reach out as easily as somebody that is not of color would do.
0: Now, is this reported to the Department of Children and Family Services?
1: We are mandated reporters, so anytime we have a case that we're at the hospital with, we do have to report it.
0: Well, I know there is a short-term and long-term impact for these um, abuses. What can we do as the church spiritual leaders or the local congregations what can we do to help protect our children
1: i think the first thing is to see the signs you know at the end of the day whether it's a church leader or a church member it's not your role to investigate the situation but if you see the signs you speak up, you say something, you advocate for that person. And then along with seeing the signs, I think it's important to continue to have those conversations, continue to have these elephant in the room conversations, even though it may be uncomfortable. At the end of the day, when you see that there's discomfort, then maybe there's some foul play or something not right in that situation, right? And so that's when you seek to support that person that's when you try to find ways to make sure that they're in a safe environment as well as making sure that when it comes down to the youth, they know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Even if it's a conversation that they may not be comfortable with having, pair them up with somebody that they trust so that they can have that conversation and say, hey, I don't feel safe or this happened to me and I need help.
0: What kind of resources are available for parents who have children in public school systems maybe even private school systems who are in 5th 6th 7th grade and they're they're encountering some kind of sexual experiences in school and the parents are not there to protect them what resources are available to to parents in order to educate their children as to what is acceptable as it relates to touch or even uh communication
1: so what we do at our center and um we are are within the state of illinois but they're everywhere there are resource centers whether it's domestic abuse or sexual abuse there are resource centers throughout the state and so we are actually in the schools we are in all of the public schools it's actually by law that we are in the public schools and these lessons are being taught to children but it's not just available within the public schools they are we are available to anyone that contacts us we provide those resources to a community based organization whether it is a church whether it is a let's say, an insurance organization to teach sexual harassment. We provide all resources. We have all types of books and um, pamphlets and even articles to be able to get you geared towards exactly what kind of conversation you want to have when it comes down to sexual abuse, grooming, um, domestic violence, or a mixture of all. Um, Those resources are available through the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. But there are of course others within different states as well
0: and what is that the illinois what is that again
1: it's icasa illinois coalition against sexual assault fantastic you also have the butterfly project with the in the state of illinois and that's child abuse as well as domestic violence
0: well nastasa you have shared so much valuable information with us and i know that it is a blessing to many, many people. any Anything that you want to say in closing?
1: I just reiterate the importance of having that holistic care to be able to overcome the obstacles um, that trauma does to a person and making sure that you know that no matter what, you continue to speak out until you have that support system that you need.
0: Thank you, uh, Nastasha, and we wish you safe travels, and a wonderful experience on your trip to Croatia.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Don't get there and love it so much that you decide you want to relocate.
1: Nope, I'm coming home.
0: (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Please come back home. (laughs) Again, we thank uh, Nastasha uh, Powers for being with us on today's podcast. Today's podcast was produced by... Associate Pastor Corey Bellamy, our editors are Sister Satoya Clinton and Sister Tainika Harris Coronado. Be safe, stay healthy, God bless.